0: What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Ro. I'm Savannah. And this is Lila. And today we're going to have a Smackdown fight about which Disney princess is the biggest Pikmisha. Who's the fairest Pikmisha of all? <laughs> the fairest Pikmisha in the land. We should whip out the British accents again. Oh, God. The
1: fairest Pikmisha in all the land. <laughs> Like, two people told me I had a good British accent, and I was like, I don't believe you. No, that was intentional. (laughs) I wanted it to be bad on purpose, so I'm offended (laughs) that you liked it. That was my best effort, so y'all can drag that, but
0: that's going to hurt my feelings because that was the best I could do. Sorry. (laughs) 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 All right, so I'm going to make the case. I'm going to make the case that Ariel is the biggest pygmisha of all. I disagree.
2: She disagrees. Okay. Okay. So Tell us, R right, why? Why? Pray tell.
0: Savannah already revealed to us she has not seen this movie. So you're lucky you made it out of your childhood and wasn't and this wasn't like a ubiquitous part of everything because I remember Mermaid Everything. <laughs> 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 what do they call it? The the Disney princess? the uh, world the princess world with all the different princesses but ariel was one of the the first characters of the disney renaissance when they started making these animated film uh animated films directed towards uh girls so ariel was a 16 year old girl who lives under the sea and she has this natural curiosity about life and she occasionally goes up to the surface uh she's a mermaid obviously uh, occasionally goes up to the surface and collects things that human ha- that humans have. And one day she's floating up to the surface and she sees this guy, Eric, on a boat and the boat uh, capsizes and then Eric almost drowns and she saves him and puts him on the beach. She becomes obsessed with this dude, absolutely obsessed, and then goes to a witch doctor named Ursula to help her get back to the surface to basically what Ursula is going to do is give her a potion to transform her from a mermaid to a human. But the catch is she has to get Prince Eric to kiss her within three days. Otherwise she turns back into a mermaid and also she loses her voice. She has to, she has to give Ursula her voice in exchange for her new legs. Her, her shot, her chance. For her shot to get this guy. So off rip y'all, the entire premise of the story is one big pick me clusterfuck, right? She, she doesn't know this guy. She sees him once on a ship. She decides they're in love and she's willing to give up her voice. Everything that anybody needs to communicate in order to have a shot with this guy. And What's hilarious about it is Ursula does this whole song about how um the guys on land don't like to hear women anyways. So you're actually doing a good thing by exchanging your voice for some legs. Yeah. It's exact I mean, it's literally like a three, four minute song about this. Like, girl, you don't need your voice.
2: <laughs> Just take this person. <laughs> Ursula knew what's up. She knew what was up. <laughs>
1: My, my position is not that Ariel is a, not a pick-me, because she definitely is. It's just that she's maybe more of like a sympathetic pick-me. Her relationship with her father, first of all, uh, she's grown up in this world where she doesn't, she feels like a bit of a misfit. She doesn't really fit in and she has interests that are sort of like non-conforming. She wants to live in a whole new world. And her father finds her collection of all of her stuff that she loves and trashes it. Which is like, that is like a beat. Yeah, he was really trash for that. You know, my understanding is that she wasn't conforming to their sort of society's expectations of what she's expected to do as royalty. Um, You know, there's that whole musical number at the beginning where it just looks exhausting. (laughs) <laughs> she has a, a father who is very controlling and abusive and doesn't understand her, and she is, like, a, a misfit. That being said, I can see how this narrative of, like, oh, if your dad's not being uh, supportive of you, if your dad's abusive or whatever, just throw, you know, just throw yourself into the arms of another man. Throw yourself at literally the first man you've ever seen. Exactly. And so I can see why that... I can see why that message would be toxic to girls who maybe grew up in a household, you know, where they felt like they were being very stifled or very controlled or, you know, their parents maybe weren't, you know, accepting things that they were interested in or even like destroyed. Like I've heard of like cases where families literally like will destroy the property of their child because they see their child as property and therefore their child's property is their property. And therefore like, you're not a separate person. I can like do whatever I want to you kind of thing. And a lot of, you know it really fucks up with kids minds right and so a lot of kids who grew up in abusive situations like that especially women literally do like throw themselves into the arms of the first man who shows them the slightest bit of attention so that's why like i'm i'm not you know the all the stuff that you mentioned ro at the beginning of like yeah like she sees the the first guy and like she falls in love with him and then um Ursula is like, well, men don't want to hear what you have to say anyway, so like, who cares, kind of thing. Like, all that matters (laughs) is your looks, and so you can make him fall in love with you just based on your looks alone, like, you'll be fine, kind of thing. So that's problematic. At the same time, it does mirror what does actually happen in real life to women like, all of the time. That's very, very common plot line, sadly. That's true. And I think the problem with the Disney-fied version of The Little Mermaid is that they completely
0: took the lesson out of the story. So in the original Little Mermaid story, she sacrifices all these things to get close to this guy, and then he marries another woman anyway. And then she throws herself off uh, a cliff and into the water and, I think, dies and becomes a spirit. But, like, without that message or lesson it just seems like Ursula's kind of right right because he does
1: fall in love with her based on her pretty face and none of her personality <laughs> like it doesn't really show my problem with the Disney story is the whole happy ending thing um the whole concept I know this may sound very cynical but I think that we should stop teaching kids that everything has a happy ending um and, and <laughs> What you're talking about uh, with the original story versus the new one is the I don't know if you've heard the concept of like Disneyfication, which is like a sort of like sociological term to refer to the theme that Disney does, where they take a story such as a folk tale. Uh, you know, often the folk tales ha- have like horrifying themes. You look at like old school fol- folk tales of like like original Red Riding Hood, for example, like people get eaten. And like die. They were gruesome and more realistic. Yeah, you know, you lo- you look know, so at the stories that they told kids back in the old days. Were all about like make sure to eat all your food off your plate, or else a monster will come. A monster will come and destroy you in the middle of the night if you don't obey your parents. Kind of thing, right? Like. <laughs>
2: Yeah like brothers grim were um they they really lived up to their name because some of their stories were grim and Disney took a lot of their stories so snow white i think uh, Rumpelstiltskin Rapunzel all those and just yeah disneyfied them to something completely different. And
1: so the, the process of disinfication is you take something, you remove all the negative elements, you make it seem like, you know, safe and like sanitized and cutesy and wholesome and family friendly. And then it has a happy ending. And I feel like kids listening to those kinds of stories grow up with completely unrealistic expectations. It's not preparing kids for the real world and it's almost traumatic when you grow up with that kind of mentality and then you're faced with the real world and it doesn't match up with your expectations like the old-timey folk tales that were really dark and gruesome can be pretty traumatizing as a kid to hear these kinds of stories you know if you if you keep sucking your thumbs then you know someone will cut off your thumb
0: i still can't get over hansel and gretel like who came up with a story where they go into the woods and they they see this old woman and then she eats children i'm like did this happen did this happen <laughs> I demand to know the origin of the story.
1: Like, what is the point of Hansel and Gretel? Is, is it like, don't eat too much candy. Don't believe in strangers who are giving you candy because they're just going to, like, kidnap. I see it as an anti-pedophile story. It's like, kids, like, don't trust strangers with candy, okay? They will steal and eat you, okay? But the- why do they make her a woman, though? Like, that's the thing. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. I, I think children do learn from these kinds of stories. And that the reason why these folk tales exist is has some kind of educational element to it. Whether that educational element is like listen to your parents, or like don't talk to strangers, or do this or that, or I read a theory about a lot of these. Um,
0: this is going to be kind of gross. A lot of these sea animal hybrids, like selkies and mermaids, were really just sailors who wanted to have sex with animals. The idea being they're out at sea for months and months and months, and they're like that seal's looking kind of good. That trout fish is looking kind of good.
2: So they were like the early day furries, but just with mermaids.
0: Looks like a lady. You think it looks like a lady? Yeah, it totally looks like a lady. You could just see men like rationalizing it as to themselves. They're like, I- that fish I had sex with was actually a uh, part lady. <laughs> 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 Jesus Christ. Because why are they always female too, right? <laughs> yeah, go
1: ahead. Gosh. <laughs> <I'm> so- sorry. <laughs> The sirens of Greek mythology were birds, not fish. I don't know. I, I see the siren story as just an example of men, like, just admitting that they have extremely poor impulse control and judgment. Um, like, you know, Odysseus going by the, by the sirens being like, tie me up, boys! Put some, put wax in yours! Yeah, it's always some
0: woman that takes them off their noble and righteous path right in all of these
1: stories (laughs) also the fact that Odysseus just was like shacking up with Circe like he was gone for 20 years okay um but he was with Circe I think for like seven years the the witch and like everyone's like oh but he was bewitched or whatever no no he wasn't (laughs) like he was just cheating on his wife he wanted to be there he knew where he wanted to be yeah he was just cheating on his wife and then I can't remember the name of his wife, but, you know, she's portrayed as like, oh, my gosh, she's such a wholesome good woman. Because during those 20 years, she never remarried. And, uh, you know, she has all these suitors who want her. And then, uh, you know, she doesn't sleep with any of them. And then Odysseus comes back and finally kills all of her suitors, which is like... We should do a show on Greek mythology, I think. I love Greek mythology. I've, like, been obsessed with it. All of my life, so yeah, I I'd, I'd be down to do that. But anyway,s back to Disney because we kind of got off topic. But but back about the con, just to wrap up the concept of Disneyfication, which is like the idea of taking something that maybe had negative elements, sanitizing it, repackaging it. We could have a whole debate about that. But back to the pygmyia thing. Yes,
0: yeah, so that's that's my case for Ariel being the biggest pygmy because I, I think I have a strong case built here. But although I think coloring her reactions in the context of her dad
1: makes. A lot of sense. The only My only problem with that story is, like you said, it has the happy ending where, you know, she throws herself into the arms of some man. And I, I don't like the idea of a lot of girls watching this and thinking that that's a good strategy. Right. Yeah. Terrible strategy. That if, that if you're growing up an abusive home. Don't give up all your, like, all your worldly possessions,
0: uh, your bodily autonomy, your physical uh, ability for a man. Terrible, terrible messaging.
1: Exactly. Like the promise that shacking up with some guy especially the first guy you've met and you haven't even vetted him that that will turn out badly for you nine times out of ten and I think women and girls need to have realistic expectations about that but anyways I want to talk about Snow White because I think Snow White is a bit of a pick me but much like Ariel she also had a a sort of difficult background because her, you know, her mother died. Her father remarried. Stepmother, I guess, was jealous and wanted her to go die. So Snow White, you know, gets taken out back, taken out back behind the shed to be put down like Old Yeller. Like <laughs> her stepmom was jealous.
0: There's always an element of jealousy when it comes to the step parent. If there's if the mom's alive, she's horribly jealous of the daughter, right? That's another thing to watch with these stories, because the stepmother is mad because she wants to be the fairest of them all, right?
1: And so I I see this as a dynamic between two Pikmi- Stepmom versus Snow White. This is a smackdown between two (laughs) because what Snow White does is she goes and finds this house full of, like, seven dwarves, and then just starts cooking and cleaning for them. That is fucking bullshit, okay?
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah, she, she comes in basically like that. Well, I wouldn't say Mommy McBang made, because it's not clear if she actually shagged any of them. But yeah, the concept remains.
1: Exactly, it's Disney. So, you know, she's not going to sleep with all of them because it's Disney. But um, still, like, the implication of her finding finding a house with seven dudes and then just, like, doing a bunch of cooking and cleaning for them. True. <laughs> And then also the fact that the stepmom disguises herself as a witch and then gives her an apple. Like, who just takes food from strangers like that? Okay, that's a great way to get roofied. Yeah.
0: Yeah. True. <laughs> that's sort of been the moral of that story. It's like, stop accepting food from strangers. <laughs> and then she spends the rest of the, the rest of the movie unconscious, right? And then it's just uh the prince trying to find her.
2: But we don't know anything about this prince. Like, am um, I feel Disney. And just like general literature geared towards women does a lot, but Disney does it too. The only, the only thing we know about the love interest is that he's a prince. There's no, we don't know anything about his character, if he is even a nice person. And I feel like women in real life, they then substitute your average low-value man as a prince because he wasn't as shitty as the previous guy. He
0: just has to have like the handsome look, right? He doesn't even, they don't have anything about his character.
2: He has a handsome look, yeah. And it's, you know, I've seen, you know, some of my friends have said, you know, he was better than my ex when their ex was literally, a minus five on the low-value male scale. So it's like, is that really better, though? I guess by keeping
0: him blank, it allows women to project whatever their fantasy is on him, right?
2: Yes. And that's the con, essentially. That is the complete con.
1: Yeah. Because that's the thing. If you marry a random strange aristocrat, you know, you never know if you're going to get blue-bearded, okay? Right? Like, how Do you know the story? <laughs> do you know the bluebeard story? I don't, but... Okay, let me tell you the story. This is my this is hands down my favorite realistic folktale, okay? Basically, it's a French folktale where this woman marries this aristocrat and he's like, "Babe, all of the rooms in this castle are for you except for this one room. You can never go into this one room. And if you go into this room, I'm not going to tell you what'll happen, but don't just don't go into this room." And um, basically, I mean, each version of the story over time is different. And that's why it's actually interesting to see, to read these stories and, and how they're reinvented each time and how the moral is slightly different each time. But basically, she goes into the room and realizes that he's like a serial killer and every woman he's ever married, you know, he murdered her. And so all the bodies of all of his ex-wives or past wives are in that room and so he's like well you know you uh you went into this room therefore you deserve to die and so if you hadn't gone into this room i wouldn't have murdered you and so i really fucking hate the lesson which is you know as a woman you should obey your husband and not be curious but yeah this is why you don't marry random aristocrats you never know if you're gonna get blue bearded okay that's why vetting is important (laughs) i don't even know how they would disneyfy that that's
0: pretty dark Although, although they did try with uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame to really sanitize that story for a happy Disney ending, and it was still disturbing for a children's cartoon.
2: That was still dark. Dark. Like, the friar was some fucked up dude. I weirdly loved that movie when I was a kid. It was traumatizing, but you know one of those movies that's traumatizing in a good way? <laughs> There's also lots of references to Cassie Modo on the subreddit as well, which just makes me literally.
1: <laughs> so I think Snow White, even though she also has an abusive background with um, Ariel, I think Snow White is slightly more of a pick me.
2: What, what about you, Savannah? Who do you think's the biggest pick me? I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and say Belle from Beauty and the Beast.
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah.
2: For so those who uh, who haven't seen it, it's, Basically, the story is about Belle, who is a young, intelligent, pretty, attractive woman who basically has the world at her oyster. She's the only woman in her is it, like village who can read, um, so she's <laughs> constantly getting cast. <laughs>
1: So she's a witch, basically. And they drag her for it. Yeah, she gets dragged. And the whole village drags her for it. They spend the entire opening number
0: dragging this woman for reading. They're like, what's wrong with this bitch?
2: <laughs> yeah, so she's the only one who can read. And she lives with her dad. So basically she gets dragged to Helen back for actually using her brain, which um, she manages to do anyway, which is good. But and so she lives with her dad, her mum passed away, and there is a um there's a low-value man who is pursuing her called Prince Gaston throughout the story, but she rejects him. Is he a prince or is he just a regular rich guy? Actually, much be a regular rich guy, run-of-the-mill, you know, rich, like negative value man who thinks he should have a woman just because he wants her not because he actually values her and you know fair play to her I'll give a pick me credit when it's due she rebuffs him but um her father um comes across the cast of the beast who essentially takes him prisoner the beast was a prince who was cursed because he basically treated an old lady like shit and she transformed into a witch who cursed him and basically if he doesn't find true love by the time like the petals on a rose, all all die. He'll remain a beast forever. So he essentially, and they, and the witch also turns all his servants, his entire household, into inanimate objects like teacups and shit. Um, so it's quite um, a bad start for him. But he also brought it upon himself because he was an absolute dick to this woman. So anyway, um, her dad rides to the beast. He keeps him captive. Um, like Belle rides across to save her dad. And the beast says, okay, fine, I'll release your dad, but you have to take his place. And Belle's dad was like, no, 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 you have your life ahead of you, you go out and live your life. And then Belle, um, in the live action, she basically tricks her dad into into her going into prison. This is where the pick-meism comes out. Belle is clearly the only woman he's set his eyes on in probably years, right? So he's decided she's going to be mine, again, without really knowing what she wants to do or if she even likes him back, which she doesn't. I mean, why would you love somebody who's imprisoned your father and is now imprisoned you? So he does things like, I mean, first he keeps her locked up against her will, which is domestic violence. It doesn't have to be be physical before it's domestic violence. And he, he'll he do things like he'll force her to have dinner with him. And if she doesn't want to eat with him, she he'll basically starve her to death.
1: And then doesn't he doesn't go on a whole temper tantrum and, like, throw a bunch of plates. Like, that is abusive.
2: Yeah. And even as inanimate objects were like, how can you get her to... This is the only ounce of sense in that film. How can you get her to love you if you're treating her like shit?
0: <laughs> so, Yeah. Good point. Took a candlestick to get clue him in on uh, reality. <laughs> yeah.
2: He basically brought her along into this elaborate program essentially to use her because he knows he's running out of time because the rose petals are dying. Um, so at some point in the story, he basically lets her go, but she gets attacked in the forest by a bunch of wolves and the beast comes to save her and gets basically beaten the shell of. Again, I have no tears. That's where she messes up, right? And then she's like, oh, he's just
1: this wounded bird. I have to take care of him.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this is where the pygneism comes out. So, and I just think this whole, this whole time she's dancing in the hall, he gives her like a whole library. I'm just thinking, this guy is a literal beast. Like, All joking aside, like, if I'm just, I'm just taking the story literally, like, how in the world are you meant to find, as a woman, a beast attractive? Like, physically, or, like, I I just, I don't think there was ever a point where the beast showed any real redemption for being a pompous asshole at the beginning. It was more just Belle just decided to see, like, the good in him. And again, there's no, I mean, she literally met him as a beast. She, Don't think she really knew him as a prince. And even if she did, he was clearly a piece of shit because he angered a woman enough to get a massive curse placed on him. So it's like, why? And also, why is a woman? And again, this, this reflects reality, doesn't it? Why is a woman hitching her wagon to a man who was cursed and has bad luck following him because of his own actions? And women do this all the time. Yeah. Honestly, if
0: I was Belle, how I would have played that is I would have like went back to Gaston and been like, yeah, let's kill this beast. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you should have just taken the entire last act and put that basically in the second act, right? And then, yeah, it would have been over, right? He probably would have like acted like you owed him something, but you but it had your dad
2: back. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and I've watched the live action version, so it might have, and um the the cartoon version, but in both, I just think that the prince and or the beast slash prince and Gaston aren't that different.
1: Exactly. That's so true. If anything, the Beast is worse because he's ugly, okay? (laughs) True. But personality-wise, they're the same.
0: Yeah, Gaston was kind of fine. They did like a bunch of songs talking
1: about how fine he was. His whole
0: chest is covered in hair.
1: Like, if you have to choose between two guys who have the same personality and one of them's hot and one of them's ugly... Go with the hot one. Duh. (laughs) Right. True. Makes no sense,
2: does it? It doesn't make sense. And it's like a lot of men have the mentality of the beast as well. Like they will literally, you know, walk around, look like a literal beast who hasn't washed and expect a beautiful, accomplished, you know, woman like Belle to just accept them as they are. And this is, we literally see this replicated in real life. But obviously these, you know, the beasts in real life don't have a palace and they're not going to become a prince.
0: Yeah. What if Gaston had kidnapped Belle under the same premise and the story would have just played out the same way.
2: Yeah, exactly. I just don't see any difference between the Beast and Gaston in terms of personality. They're both pieces of shit. Um so can I can I also be cheeky and sneak in um a a wild card candidate into this pick me into the Disney pick me race? I think we should let like I think we should let the viewers like vote so maybe we'll have a poll
1: after we after we post the podcast who who wins this debate?
2: The final candidate I would say is Tiana from Princess and the Frog. Um the Princess and the Frog is essentially about a young Black woman, Tiana, who is saving for a restaurant that, to honour her late father, which is all well and good. She's hustling, she's grinding, she's working so, so hard. Respect that hustle, yeah. Res- I respect her hustle. like. But then she has a weird relationship dynamic with her rich friend, and it's almost like she looks down on her rich friend as being stupid but her rich friend is actually quite nice to her. Like, I didn't well,
0: it's like, there's like a Disneyfication there of uh, racism. Yeah. right. Okay. So some of the subtext Disney was trying to navigate, but like put very subtly in the background, but not put it in your face was that this is like post antebellum South and, it, and it's segregated too.
1: The actual reality of being a black person in the South, I'm sure was n- Not like what it was portrayed in the Disney movie, right? Yeah, it's actually,
0: um, it's segregated at parts because there's parts in the movie where you see like, you see Tiana and she's on public transportation and she's in the back. They don't beat it over your head, but it's very, very subtle. So people understand that this is a segregated time.
1: It was a very imperfect way to handle that subject. I, I don't. I don't like the historical revisionism. Basically, it's just I see it just as more propaganda. It, he, I, I'll talk about Pocahontas similarly,
0: where they take. We can't leave this without wrapping up with Pocahontas because she.
1: I want to talk about po- Pocahontas too, because this is another case where you have a very dark, very horrifying history, right? And then to have these media narratives about like. La 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 yes, la la yeah. la la Like it yeah. wasn't as bad as it actually was kind of thing. I'm struggling to find my words here, but I don't think it does a society any good to forget about the horrible things that happened in the past and to sort of reframe it as like the oppressed group was, was happy with their station in life or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah. It's, it's tough because it's like, how do you talk about those types of subjects with children? Right. In a a realistic, but not horrifying way. Cause like the entire, to bring it back to Tiana, the entire premise of the movie was her trying to get money, enough money so that she could open this restaurant in honor of her father. And I believe she was really close to closing the restaurant and then they, someone else outbid her and the bankers make this like snide remark, like, Oh, it was an ambitious goal for someone of your station. And it's clearly supposed to be a reference to her being black and poor, but it doesn't really, you know, they don't, they don't hit the kids over the head with it. And so it's like, do you, is that better? Is that worse? Or them being
1: like, they had just flat out said it's not because you're black sis, you know? Because the kids don't know the history behind it, right? Like, they're, th- that's what I mean. It's like the, fir- the, the child's first impression of that history, not knowing the historical context, if the, f- you know, a child's brain is empty, right? The first thing you say to a child is, like, is the thing that's going st- to... I mean, I don't know for sure, but my understanding is, like, the first thing that enters a child's brain is what's going to stick, right? And so if their first introduction to these stories, say Pocahontas, say this case of Tiana... And then you just end up with people who grow up thinking that, like, you know, say, think, you know, the story of Thanksgiving, right? Like, oh, the white people, you know, came and, like, you know, the natives taught them how to farm and, like, they all had a nice dinner together. It was all happy, blah, 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 blah. And you grow up with people who have no idea of, like, the real history behind it. And it makes them uncomfortable to learn the real history of it because it doesn't match what they grew up with.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But when they Disneyfy the history, They lose a big part of the lesson and they present a rosy picture of a time that was actually very painful for people. And then it allows people to float in their ignorance about the time and then have these feel-good stories so that they can whitewash the reality, right? Because then it's not going to feel like such a feel-good story when you think about the fact that, well, the only reason Tiana's poor is because her father died in a war and probably couldn't get any of the benefits that... A white soldier would have gotten, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. That's I mean, that's a that's a complicated question.
1: Yeah, like how do you teach children about systemic racism or systemic oppression?
0: Because I've also seen the other the other argument is like, um, how much do you want to traumatize black children with the truth too? Right? If they're watching that too, true. Yeah. So it's, it's a balance, I think.
1: Yeah. Um Do we want to? What makes Tiana a pick me? Because my understanding is like, you know, she's very hardworking, and being hardworking is a good trait. Uh,
2: yeah. So basically, Prince. Uh, Naveen is now a broke prince because his parents cut him off for basically being a piece of shit a
0: fuck boy from top to bottom
2: yeah so he rides into Tiana's town planning to basically um get into a sham marriage with her best friend Charlotte who's the rich kid and basically just like use her fortune basically because he has none of his own so
1: he's a gold digger
2: yeah, he's a gold digger and um just a general womaniser as well. Um Tiana doesn't know this. So, um and again, uh, Naveen gets a curse placed on him. This time, unlike the Beast, though, like also Dr. F- Facilier, he's a witch doctor, he's an even bigger piece of shit. So <laughs> I have a shred of sympathy for Naveen because he's a really, really nasty character, Dr. Facilier. He's like... Um he puts curses on people. he's involved in the voodoo underworld, and he's just basically the devil
0: voodoo though this is a side note, but voodoo though is a is a often misunderstood demonized religion,
1: but that's a whole other discussion. I think voodoo's actually dope okay, I
2: love voodoo <laughs> i mean like in in the story though he's like portrayed as the devil um and that's and in yeah, he's the story's villain so um, he places a curse on Prince Naveen and basically turns him into a frog and he will stay a frog unless he gets a kiss from a real princess. Now, Tiana is dressed up for this ball um, that I think her friend is, is uh, throwing. So Naveen assumes that she's a princess and he essentially cons her into kissing him, but not knowing that she isn't an actual princess. So again, he wanted to use her um again so she then turns into a frog and basically they go off on this adventure they go through many trials and tribulations as they often do and they she ends up falling in love with him despite him being I mean first of all he lied about who he was I mean when they were both frogs he triumphantly says I am completely broke and is proud of it like just (laughs) General piece of shit. And um I think the, the I think the tipping point for me was when um like Dr. Facilier, I mean, it's a bit dodgy, but he basically offers Tiana everything that she wants. So she wants a restaurant, she'll have it, she'll be successful. And she basically turns it down because she wants to be with Naveen, who uh! hasn't really <laughs> I mean, Doctor Facilia. He's not. I mean, in the story, he's the villain. But again, I think it relates, it translates, you know, quite nicely to real life. Because again, how many women have you know given up their dreams to be whatever they want to be just to be with a man? And unlike in The Princess and the Frog. In fact, I think this guy is still broke at the end of it as well. So it's not even like, and they all lived happily ever after.
1: So he's basically like the equivalent of like that guy that's like unemployed and is a loser. Then marries like a really, really hardworking, strong black woman and then just mooches off of her. Yeah, exactly. He's a freeloader.
2: I mean, that would literally be... If the princess and if Disney were being honest, that would be the princess and the bum would be part two (laughs) because that is exactly what would happen. The princess and the bum.
1: (laughs) Wait, wasn't the ending like so? How does he get out of it? Doesn't don't they like get married and like oh now you're a princess and now we kiss and now I'm not a.
2: Yeah, it's just I think Princess and the Frog is yeah it's quite relatable. I mean, you have the the woman who's hustling, working her ass off, and her life gets dramatically interrupted by a low-value man.
1: A negative-value man. He's like a negative three on the scale. A lazy, womanizing fuckboy, yeah.
2: (laughs) Who, exactly, who essentially, he, he massively disrupts her life by by turning by getting her turned into a frog and for some reason somehow she finds redeeming features again in this guy who ruined her life
0: yeah it's not even really clear how she falls in love with him no it's not she falls in love with him because he learns how to cut mushrooms on his own right because she was teaching him like basic life skills the entire movie the entire movie she's teaching him basic life skills because he has zero because he's never had to do anything Right, because he's been treated like a prince his whole life. So she's teaching him basic life skills, and then one day he decides he's in love with her and wants to marry her, and so he learns how to uh, mince mushrooms on his own to help her with her potential restaurant she was trying to open. So he learns the barest (laughs) of minimums (laughs) of basic self-maintenance skills, and that now qualifies him as worthy of
1: of love. Okay, fuck that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, in a way, this episode has really shone a light on Disney because the competition is stiff as to who is the biggest pick-me.
0: It was. I thought Ariel was going to blow them out of the water, but the way you guys have
1: broken this down, I'm like, yeah,
2: damn.
0: They really <laughs>
1: all, they really all... Like- I th- Actually, I think I've, I th- I now think, I agree with Savannah, actually. I think Belle is probably still Belle. the bigger pick-me, yeah. I think Belle... That's the worst dynamic, Yeah.
2: It's because the thing, and the thing is with Belle, and the thing is with Belle, though, the thing, the thing, because I think you said earlier, Lilith, that there are some Pekingese that just don't know any better, right? She's rejected someone like Gaston, so she knows that there are low value men, right? But then she goes and falls in love with a guy who's the same. In fact, he's, I mean, like Gaston, if you had the chance, would have kidnapped her, but, but this guy was like, literally gonna lock you up in his tower, Like, it's just... Oh, the beast is so problematic. He's...
1: Yeah. I mean, some people make the argument of, like, oh, you know, a Stockholm Syndrome. She was doing what she needed to do to survive. And, you know, I kind of get that. Um,
2: But he let her leave and she went back.
1: My problem is with these stories where you have a really strong, really smart woman like Belle or like Tiana... And then they, despite them being smart and hardworking and amazing, they still settle for a shitty man. What kind of example is that setting for girls?
0: <laughs> They're all pickme's. I,
1: I'm like, I can't think of one that's not a pickme now. Elsa from Frozen is the only one I can think of that's not a pickme, And maybe Mulan. But I, I want to talk about Mulan in a sec because she's my favorite. Okay, another pickme I want to talk about is Jasmine. Because <laughs> that's another story that makes me so mad. I forgot
2: about Jasmine. (laughs) We need to talk about Jasmine. I I completely forgot about Jasmine. Gosh, yeah. First
1: of all, I guess she was lied to at first because he, you know, gets the whole wish and he's dressed up like a fancy prince and all that stuff. And like, but isn't she like not attracted to him at first? Like she doesn't like him because he's... She is, but so she pretends to be, she runs
0: away from the castle because she's tired of being a princess. So she pretends to be a commoner. And then while she's pretending to be a commoner, she almost uh, she steals something on accident and then Aladdin saves her and then they get to know each other and she falls in love with him as a street rat and then he uh, he finds out she's a princess and then he realizes oh I'll never be able to have her unless I'm a prince because at the law at the time was that she had to marry a prince so then a series of adventures happened and then he gets the the lamp from the cave of wonders and then wishes to be a prince so that he can bag jasmine
1: yeah but isn't she not attracted to him in prince form like at first i think she thinks he's pompous at first but only when she realizes that he was actually a street rat all along and that's when she like falls for him or whatever i hate that story so much <laughs> you've got a literal queen being like oh yes ah, oh, the street rat like no i hate that yeah it was
0: like they had all these princes coming to see her and she was just tired of their pompous ass hattery And so by the time Prince Ali comes to town, she's like, I'm so over his crap. And so she doesn't really like him in the prince form because he's just flaunting his wealth. But I don't know. I don't know if that makes her a pick me.
1: Yeah, but again, that's that's another propaganda thing because I really don't like the idea of a woman who's at a very high level is like beautiful, intelligent. There's no virtue in being attracted to someone who is beneath you. Like, that doesn't make you a better person. <laughs> yeah. And it just seems like propaganda to get girls to have low standards and to think that there's something wrong with them if they want better or want, like, you know, someone who's their equal. Um, she says, I'm not a prize
0: to be won. And, like, that's pretty much the antithesis of, <laughs> of FTS. She's like, I am not
1: a prize to be won. And, like, yes, you are. Sis. <laughs> you need to act like it. Like, start making demands. Exactly. Like, there's no virtue in dating a poor, broke, ugly, abusive guy. Like, I'm not just talking about Jasmine. I'm talking about, like, collectively, like, the Belle story, the Tiana story. There's no virtue. Like, you're not a good person or a good woman just for dating a guy who's shitty, right?
0: She doesn't want to be objectified. And I think it's part of, see, it's complicated now that I'm thinking about it because the the reason why she says that is because she doesn't want to be objectified by these guys because she is being treated like she doesn't have her own choices. And I think that's the subtext is that her father and Jafar are trying to put all these guys in front of her and force her to marry some guy just because he's he's of a certain station rather than someone who she's actually genuinely attracted to. But I think instead of um,
1: balance, (laughs) maybe that should have happened. She goes full on like to like the exact opposite extreme, which is just as harmful.
0: Yeah. The the diamond in the rough, according to the prophecy. And I'm like, how many prophecies have there been? Every guy who hasn't made it yet thinks he's going to make it someday. Like, again, in real life, she would have bet the horse on Aladdin. He never would have made it. Right. And then like then she'd just be married to this guy. She's like, I could have married a prince. And then they'd be miserable together for 40 years.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, What's another? So I got beef with the movie Frozen because there's a scene in there with a song where Kristoff, who is like, he's not really Anna's love interest. I mean, the the very beginning of the entire movie, Anna falls in love, uh, does the whole Disney falls in love at, at first sight with a prince who turns out to be a guy who's just trying to maneuver uh, their family out of their kingdom. So basically he had ulterior motives from, from the beginning and uh, credit to Disney. They finally showed the downside of their like instant love connection because they see each other, you know, and they're both handsome and pretty. Um, So that was like, it it does seem like they tried to add some complexity to, to the entire story of, of, uh, living happily ever after, because perhaps some of the writers realize how toxic of a message that is. Um, but there's another guy uh, named Christoph, um, who I guess was raised by trolls. And they don't, they don't really explain the entirety behind that. And they do this entire song called He's a Bit of a Fixer Upper. And it's all about how, oh, don't worry about it. You just got to fix him up a little bit and he'll be perfect for you. And I'm just like, no, no.
1: <laughs> No more projects. No more fucking projects. (laughs) They do a whole song in a
0: bit. And they're like, well, he smells. And he's a little awkward. He's got this weird thing going on with the reindeer. But he's just a little bit of a fixer-upper. And if you just fix him up with your love, all he needs is a little bit of love. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's how so many women get trapped. He
2: needs to come all the way together. I think the only HVM in Frozen was Olaf. What? The yeah, snowman. No, I'm so confused by this. What? I liked Olaf, huh? Like the snowman. Because cause at the beginning as well, like when Anna and him were setting off, he was even, he was like, he was like, bye Sven, <laughs> thinking he wouldn't come along. But then she brought him along with her. So Olaf is a little snowman who is very, who's like disgustingly, ignorant because he sings a song about looking forward to summer, not realizing that he won't exist if there is, son, <laughs> if there is. <laughs> so, yeah. I do
1: like the closing theme with uh, Frozen in that the, you know, true love thing is between sisters yeah. rather than, yeah. you know, between a romantic partner. And I, I like that because I think true female friendship or true sisterhood is more important and more valuable and more reliable and less risky than falling for a man. So 100% I like that evolution, I guess
0: the the true love story is Anna and her sister. Yeah, I feel like they they tried to course correct in a lot of the Disney vacation narratives. And then they just made that one little misstep, I think in the middle
2: because it was also interesting how like Elsa didn't have a love interest as I think if Frozen was released say 15 20 years ago it would have been her going after Kristoff or that shitty prince
0: well there's Pocahontas right Who basically, I mean, we kind of know what happened with the English settlers and the Native Americans, but consider that she gave her whole, she was willing to give her whole family away for this random dude that she met that almost tried to kill her at first. That actually didn't even almost, directly tried to kill her until he realized she was hot. Yeah. So like, right. Remember at the beginning of the movie, he like, he's like, I'm real good at killing injuns, And then he like runs off to the woods and then he sees Pocahontas and he literally has his gun up, going to shoot her between the eyes. And then it's like, well, this one's kind of hot.
1: Yeah. The, the Pocahontas story I find so, so insulting, especially since the original Pocahontas um, was basically like kidnapped by the Europeans and treated like a zoo animal. And she was a child. They aged her up in the movie, but she was like 12, 13. Yeah, so she was like a literal child and was taken to the old world to be like, oh, look, we can civilize the natives. Like, we can train them to, you know, speak English. And it's just very, very dark, right? And then she was treated as like a sideshow oddity and eventually died. Kokoam, the native guy
0: that she was supposed to marry, that she didn't want to marry. So he was like the best warrior in the village. She didn't want to marry him some kind of, I don't remember exactly what the fight was about, but there's a fight between Um and John Smith. John Smith kills Um during the fight. And then that in, a, a war ensues. It starts to ramp up after that because of the fact that John Smith killed Um And then she decides to throw herself in the middle of that. And I'm like, girl.
1: Yeah. It's really problematic, the idea of like a war between, because we know what happens later, right? Like this is, it's not, it's not like Disney made this before the European history happened, right? Like, we know the end. So the just the idea of, like, you know, a Native woman essentially betraying her own people to side with, like, the white people who would eventually later destroy her entire civilization is just a very, like, problematic message to me. She throws herself over John Smith's body. Yeah, that's some pick-me-ass shit
0: right there. She throws herself over his body, and I'm like, again... Why this guy was gonna murder her until he realized she was hot, and in real life, he probably just would have uh, raped her and been done with it and killed her anyway,
1: yeah, that whole that the whole plot line is just a train wreck and is just really, really dark when you know the real history behind it, right? And that's why I don't like these kinds of messages being shown to kids. It's like it's like they're trying to build a narr- yeah, they're trying to build this narrative that like the colonization of the new world was somehow like consensual or that um. The, the natives were, like, you know, savages that wanted to kill the white people, and, like, they shouldn't have done that. Like, I don't like the framing of portraying them as the bad guys for that. The reality was the opposite, right? It just seems very, like, victim-blamey. I don't know.
0: Right. He did, like, invade their whole spot, right? And then kill one of their soldiers and almost kill the princess. So...
1: He kind of had it coming, right? So I don't understand the whole, like, you know, throwing herself on this man and saving her his life. Like, that's some, some pick-me-ass stuff. And, and just the, the whole history behind it just makes it so much more, like, cringy. Like, how can you fucking sanitize the concept of, like, a, the genocide of an entire culture?
0: Yeah, that's the problem with... With the tokenism of diversity, sometimes I think it would have been better if they had just told a native story. And I think they've made amends in some of the, I feel like they're trying to evolve because, um, with Moana, I guess. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Moana, exactly. Where they went to the people who they were talking about and asked them to tell their own stories rather than a whitewashed version of their stories told from the eyes of Europeans. Right. So I think a much, much
1: needed uh,
0: change in the way that they build narratives. The
1: last one I wanted to talk about was Mulan, because I love Mulan. That's like, that's my favorite Disney movie. That's the one that when I was a kid, I just would watch over and over. You know how little kids, they get obsessed with a certain story and they just want to watch the same movie over and over and over again? And it drove my parents crazy because they're like, you just watch Mulan like a hundred times.
0: I felt that way about Hercules, who might have had the only FDS type woman in there.
1: Yeah, I like. Oh, let's talk about Meg actually. Let's let's sidetrack talk about Meg because I, I do like her as well. What, what what are your thoughts, Ro? Yeah, I mean Meg. Well, she 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 started off as a massive
0: pick me, right? Because the reason why she was doing the bidding of Hades is because she sold her soul to him for true love, and then that guy left her.
1: Yeah, so she's like a reformed pick me.
0: Reformed pick me.
1: Yeah. Relatable. Hashtag relatable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. And then I'm trying to remember now. It's like, it's been actually years since I've seen that movie, but uh, who, like what is, what was her entire.
1: So what happened? Yeah. So she sold her soul to get a guy. He ends up leaving her. And then the thing is in the end, there's this one moment where Hercules makes a deal with Hades that they'll give away my power. So long as Meg is safe. And then Meg in, gets injured. But what, the way that she gets injured is, like, she goes and, like, throws her... Again, one of these, like, the woman throws pushes him out of the side. There's this pillar that's about to fall. She takes the hit instead of Hercules. And then because she got hurt, he gets his powers back. And then he goes to the underworld to, to save her.
0: I know originally she was trying to find out what Hercules' weaknesses were.
1: Hades points out that Meg is his weakness. Right. Although I will say that Hercules had a TV show. It was like Hercules in college or something like that. And they have this uh, episode where he creates like a sculpture. It's like a Pygmalion story where he creates a sculpture of his perfect woman. And then Aphrodite comes and is like, you know, what do you want her to be like? He's like, oh, I just want her to be beautiful and crazy about me. And Aphrodite rolls her eyes and is like, all right, (laughs) You, you got it. And so... It turns out she's, like, obsessed with him, and he doesn't like that. Like, he actually loses interest in her because of how much of a pick-me she is. And then when he rejects her and leaves her on this island, she literally, like, goes insane. So Aphrodite kind of... It's kind of a double-edged sword. It's like, oh, she's crazy for you? Like, she's literally crazy for you. So she goes there and she, like, destroys Prom or whatever. And then in the end, um, Aphrodite's like, okay, this is a lesson in how, you know you shouldn't just want a woman who's obsessed with you. You should want a woman with her own personality. And then he's like, okay, I want her to be her own person and have a mind of her own. And then, and then once she has a mind of her own, she dumps him. So that's an <laughs> FDS story. That's an FDS story that I like. That's like, that's
0: uh Disney dipping their toe into uh progressivism.
1: But yeah. So what happened is Meg, she does sacrifice herself for Hercules. He was about to get hit by a pillar and she pushes him out of the way. And then she gets crushed by the pillar instead and dies. And then he
0: goes and he goes and rescues her and then that selfless act makes him a god again.
1: So that sacrifice, yeah, exactly uh, makes him a god. And I think it's actually kind of cute how at the end, like he has the option of going up and living on Mount Olympus and he's like, no, I'm going to give up immortality so I can be with Meg. I think that's I kind of like that. Actually, it's pretty cute.
0: That's kind of cute. Yeah. So
1: like I like that whole story arc to be honest. The the, the fact that they both sac- like what I don't like is stories where the woman sacrifices everything for a man and doesn't get much in return. This is a case where they both make a sacrifice and they choose each other in the end.
0: Right. Yeah, that's actually a very very good point that this seemed like they're both kind of mutually meeting each other meeting each other's intensity, right? And even even though actually Meg's probably more reluctant than Hercules, <laughs> but but at least you're kind of seeing him make the proposition to her and, you know, them feeling out each other's commitment to one another. So,
1: yeah, I mean, they tried not bad for disney i mean considering all the other stuff we've talked about yeah but apparently she doesn't count as a disney princess because she's not like royalty so like, of course not ne- neither does esmeralda actually we need to talk about that because all the
0: like based women are not disney princesses right esmeralda isn't either yeah like, all the women who were independent and had a mind of their own and were doing their own thing didn't get to be disney princesses <laughs>
1: Except for the new crop, there's the two, the 2D princesses, not the 3D princesses. <laughs> yeah. The 3D princesses are more modern
0: and they're more children too. That's what I noticed is that they, they stopped, um, aging up the princesses. I think, uh, the youngest one that I know that at least the person that revealed their age was Ariel was 16, but the rest of the princesses, it's not really clear how old they are and they seem to be older versus like, now with Moana, those are clearly children, right? They, they, make, they draw them like children, and they look like children. I
1: actually found this graph that was like, these are the ages of all the princesses, and the oldest one is Elsa. She's 24. Anna's 21. Tiana's 19. What? Yeah, Cinderella's 19. Oh, that's another one I want to talk about, Cinderella. Okay, so for those of you listening, we have Patreon bonus content where I talk about the Cinderella story. <laughs> So oh, that's one. Let's plug our Patreon real quick, bro. Oh, yes. Have you heard
0: of our Patreon? It's at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. We have lots of bonus content up there, as well as the opportunity to enter our raffle to have a story from your life, either roasting a guy or celebrating one of your successes on our podcast. All you got to do is sign up for the Patreon and then submit your story to us. And we'll draw a couple out of the raffle. And like we said, we have yet to get one yet. So if y'all want to go ahead and, you know, submit it, then you could be the first one.
2: Be a pick Uh, me. Be a pick me. Just for this. Just for this. Just for this. And we
0: also have the queen tier if you want uh, exclusive updates on the brand and where we're going with different uh, aspects of the brand. If you want to be on the queen tier and get some merchandise...
2: And help sync Vice. Yeah, help sync Vice.
0: <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You'll know what we're talking about when we release the content about what we're going to do in that area. Oh, and also follow our social media because we have uh, special deals on our social media sometimes. If you want some updates, follow our Twitter at femdatstrat or our uh, Instagram underscore the female dating strategy.
1: Um, but back to Cinderella. So in this, in the bonus content that's on the Patreon, I... Talked about how I don't like the concept of the Cinderella story. And I have to admit, my views have changed slightly since then. Now that I've looked at the Cinderella story in more detail... I actually think that she's maybe less of a pick-me because, again, it's another case of, like, you know, she grew up in an abusive home. She had the stepmom and stepsisters who were, like, bullying her and pretty much treating her like a slave. And she had to be resourceful, essentially, to get out of her situation. Like, she tried, she ends up, like, sewing this dress. She wants to go to the ball. And she tries to improve her situation. So I kind of respect that, actually. That being said, I don't like the fact that the guy that she um, ends up with, Prince uh, whatever... Can't recognize her. Prince Charming. (laughs) Generic Prince that you can project
0: all your fantasies on.
2: And then he can't even
1: recognize her without the shoe? Like, come on.
2: And being charming is not a good thing in most cases from, like, men. I think, like, Gavin DeBecker in The Gift of Fear, which which should be required reading for girls of Disney age, often says that charm is a red flag because it's what men use to disarm. It's not a positive thing. And if you look, if you examine the charming men that you know, they're often the men who will offer things like friends with benefits or will try to get you to sleep with them too soon. It's not a positive trait if a man is overtly charming. So it's problematic that they made this guy's entire personality about how charming he was which
1: yeah lots of horrible people are charming yeah prince charming is a red flag a lot of narcissists a lot of sociopaths psychopaths a lot of them have that superficial charm so yeah definitely something to look out for yeah, but again, in the, in the original Disney story, she the the stepsisters apparently cut off their toes to fit into the shoe Ugh. thing, right? So, <laughs> so they're the pick-me's. I In this story, I'd say the stepsisters, yeah, the stepsisters are the pickmies, literally like mutilating their own feet to try to get picked, right? Um, but also, like, why can he not? Look at your face. You <laughs> don't remember her face cuz he was too busy <laughs> looking at that ass. Do we want to talk about Marita from from Brave? I kind of I actually kind of liked Marita because her parents were trying to marry her off and she like didn't like any of them. She says, "Okay, if you want to win my hand, you have to win this archery competition." And then she enters the competition and then wins and so she's like, "I'm going to marry myself." I stand that, honestly. Based. Based. <laughs> Ladies, if you're listening, marry yourself. <laughs> but um Uh, Yeah, so Mulan, why do I like Mulan so much? So what I like about Mulan is, first of all, she's got that honor, right? So when her dad's going to be conscripted, she's like, no, my dad's totally going to die. I'm going to go. And also she, I love the matchmaker scene. She's kind of a tomboy and she doesn't really succeed at like pouring the tea and it ends up being a disaster. The matchmaker gets like set on fire. And basically she's like, I'm not cut out for marriage. Fuck marriage. I'm going to go to war <laughs> based. So um, she goes to war and the, the problem that she has is like related to the fact that she's not as physically strong as the average man. Right. You know, the song I'll make a man out of you. Let's get down to business. Yeah. To defeat the Huns. We,
0: we need to do a sing along. FDS, the musical!
2: <laughs> yeah, bonus content.
1: Sing along, yeah. So, her challenge, though, is, like, at the end of that song, he's like, okay, you're not physically strong enough, you're not cut out for war. And so what she does is she she does that thing where, uh, Shang, I think, was the name of the guy, where he shoots an arrow to the top of this pole, and he's like, okay, you have to, whoever gets the arrow, like, wins at life or whatever. And so she uses these, like, weights, instead of having to fight the weight of it she uses it as like a leverage thing as like a way of slinging herself up to that pole right and she gets the arrow and so she wins and so what I like about Mulan is you know what I'm not as physically strong as an average man but I make up for it with my intelligence and with my cleverness so I think that's a very good message for for girls right and so they go to war and um you know, she, they, her, and Shang have kind of a, a thing, and they build trust and build kind of a relationship eventually. Um, and then she, again, use through her own like ingenuity, resourcefulness, ends up. They have like one last explosive, and then they shoot the explosive up at the mountain, and then there's an avalanche, and it like wipes out all the Huns. Right, so that's obviously a better strategy than shooting like each individual Hun. Right, like use one weapon, wipe them all out, rather than using all of your weapons to wipe them out individually. Um, and then, but unfortunately, she gets injured. They find out that she's actually a woman. So Shang, you know what? Shang's kind of a dickhead for abandoning her, just like leaving her out to die in the mountains because she's a woman. Like she's literally a war hero, but because she's a woman, you're gonna you're gonna just leave her out to die dick move. Anyways, she doesn't give up. She sees the Huns coming. She sees them come out of snow. She's like, I need to go warn, I need to go warn the Emperor. And then she goes there. And then again, she uses her cleverness. This is the third time she uses her cleverness to solve a problem. She's like, okay, instead of trying to brute force this issue, we have limited people. How are we going to, you know, protect the Emperor? Uh, We're going to again, the, the sling thing where they lever themselves up the pole and they, like, dress as women and it's a whole, like, funny ha-ha scene. And then she uses her fan, which I, I like the fan thing, because at the beginning, with the matchmaker, she wasn't performing femininity correctly with the fan, right? But in the final scene, she uses the fan to sort of, like, grab the sword and, like, she twists it and defeats the, the Huns, you know, using that symbol of femininity. You know, in the end, she, you know, the emperor, like, bows down to her and Shang ends up being really impressed by her and how heroic and how brave and how intelligent she is. I like Mulan because it's a story of a woman who knows that she's in a patriarchal society, who is at a disadvantage physically, society-wise, and then overcomes those adversities through her own cleverness and resourcefulness and earns the respect of the people around her. And if you contrast this with the live-action version here's what they do, is they introduce the concept of, like, magical power. So what they do is they're like, okay, now Mulan has magical powers, and now she's, like, physically as strong as all of the men, or she's stronger than all of the men. And I hate that, because it just takes away from the original message to me, which was that, you know, it's okay to be physically less strong than a man. It's okay to be different. You know, you can overcome adversity in other ways. And now, it's like, nowadays, they're trying to be so woke that they're like, women and men are just the same. Like, you know, we can, we, you know, women and men are physically exactly the same, and, you know, we can beat men in hand-to-hand combat. It's like the whole lip-fem fairy tale where, you know, there's no differences between men and women physically, or, like, that feeling, I have to prove that I'm exactly the same as a man or better than a man to succeed. In the first movie, the animated version, she's probably the only Disney princess I can think of that's not a pick-me, and that is, like, a badass bitch in her own right. So so what I love about Mulan and her plotline is that she's a perfect example of what it means to be a high-value woman first, and then romance, you know, not even being your primary goal. Her priority was to protect her family, to defend her country, and, you know, in the end she gets the guy, which a lot of feminists have said undermines her plotline, but I don't think so. I think that she is a perfect example of what it means to be a high-value woman, to build yourself up first. She struggles at first, but then builds herself up and works hard to achieve high value woman status and then in the end she gets the guy anyways but it's not about her trying to be picked it's like that's not even something that was on her mind she just wanted to defend her country and then he sees that and is like damn like mad respect kind of thing first work on yourself be a high value woman romance is optional if you're if there's a guy out there who sees that and is like wow mad respect i love the fact that you're a high value woman then he's a better guy for you than a guy who you have to sort of debase yourself or lower yourself in order to attract.
0: That and also that you have to f- like do endless fixing up. So the other subste- subtext of that too is that he was already competent and capable.
1: Like he was already a general, right? Or he, I think that's a commander. So he was already a high value man over time, they kind of get to know each other. But yeah, he wasn't, he was never a project for her, right? She never had to build him up. She didn't waste her time trying to like make him into some anything. Exactly. Of all the Disney princesses, Mulan is the best one, is the least pick me, the highest value woman. Great example for little girls to follow, in my personal opinion. Mulan is quite literally a strategy queen, okay? Like, I, I, (laughs) she is a ruthless strategist in her own right. Seriously, mad respect.
0: All right. If you like FDS and want to support us, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. You can also check out our website at thefemaledatingstrategy.com. Thanks for listening, queens. And for all you fixer-uppers out there, we're not fixing shit. Die mad.